Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Man, this series is almost the twilight zone because it's just challenging us to think differently about life. You and I live in a material world, and so we're familiar with things getting old. We're, I mean, for some of us, we're familiar with getting old ourselves, or at least that's how we feel. But the truth be told, it's only the material part of us that ages. There's a part of us that's eternal. And so what I want to challenge us to do in this series is I want us to think like God thinks about ourselves. I want to start today with a verse from Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Now, you know if you were here last week, there are three verses we're going to look at in just a moment that frame the spine of our series. But I want, you, I want you to understand how God sees this whole thing about new. In Romans 6, verse 4, the Bible says, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father. Now, that's pretty extreme power, isn't it? I mean, to raise someone from the dead. The Bible says, So we too might habitually live and behave in newness of life. So what God is looking for from us is to understand that we are to live in a state of constant renewal. And so with that in mind, I shared with you three verses last week. I'll share them with you today and God willing for the next two weekends. The first one is in Revelation chapter 21 and the fifth verse. It is like God is handing you his business card. And this verse simply says, God says, I make all things new. That is what God does. If you wanna know your God, your God is in the business of new. He is not in the antique business. God is in the new business. He said, I make all things new. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to make us new. He wants to make your marriage new. He wants to make your friendships new. He wants to make everything in your life continually new until you get to heaven and things will materially be new forever. So that's your God. I make all things new. The reason why we have aging in our world, and it's interesting because scientists really don't understand why we age. They think it might be just those little fringes at the end of the DNA molecule called telomeres. They, they shorten over time. Maybe that's the reason why we age. No one seems to know. But our, our world ages because of what we'll talk about in just a moment. The system, sin came into our world. But God wants us to have everything new in our lives. Now, the second verse is 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. If you feel old beyond your years today, you don't have to leave that way because anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. Now look at this next line. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. For anyone who deals with guilt or shame, wouldn't it be great to just start over with a blank piece of paper? Well, hey, it gets even better than that because the third verse is Lamentations 3.22 where the Bible says his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So in other words, God wants you to start with a blank sheet of paper every day. He wants you to start fresh today, start fresh tomorrow, start fresh on Tuesday. That's just how God is. That's how he rolls. He makes all things new. Well, we need that newness. Last week, I brought a talk called Start Fresh. But let's just be real for a moment. Nowhere do we need this newness more than we do in our thinking and our emotions. No generation in history has been attacked mentally and emotionally by their times as your generation and my generation. And it's getting worse. 
Now, I'm a child. My parents were part of the great generation. And someone could push back against that and say, well, your parents dealt with the Depression and World War II. And I'll hand you that those were difficult times. But I just think the emotional pressures, the intense pressures of our times makes your mind and emotions under attack more than any generation in the history of the world. Just think about this. A hundred years ago, people pretty much only knew the problems of their communities. Only a few things outside of their community they know about. Today, we are baptized by the media with the cares of the whole world. And we barely get over the worries of yesterday, the problems of yesterday, and we have a whole new set of things to be troubled about today. And technology has made it worse. I was reading the other day about a, a woman who had a, a burglar in her house, and this burglar was in her bathroom, and the door was closed. And she was terrified, and she could see, I mean, she could hear the burglar rustling around, and she could see the shadow underneath the door. She called the police. Thankfully, they came very quick. Police got there, and they said, yes, indeed, you do have somebody. They saw the same thing. They heard the noise. They saw the shadow underneath the door. So they drew their guns and screamed for the guy to come out, and he still wouldn't come out. They got the canine unit. The dogs were barking. And finally, they did what they, you see them do this on Law and Order. They just knocked the door down. And when they did, they found her Roomba going back and forth in the bathroom. <laughs> so here we are there. We just have the problems of the whole world on us every day. And I just don't believe the human mind was ever meant to bear that kind of load. A hundred years ago, people were accountable to know what they needed to know. Today, we live in, and this term is even passe now, we live in information overload. Did you know in 1900, they say that it took information 100 years to double? By 1945, it took 25 years for information to double. By 1984, it took 12 to 13 months. Today, easily, information in the world doubles every 24 hours. And we feel accountable to deal with that. I mean, we're driven to keep up. And some of you work in the workplace where it's like every day you have a whole new manual to absorb. You have a whole new set of information that you're accountable for, or you could lose your job. hundred years ago, people weren't perfect, but relationship expectations were meant to last a lifetime. Not anymore. And I don't need to tell you that every day there's a whole new brand of evil in our world, a whole new brand of anger and crime and hate and instability. I could go on and on, but I don't need to take any more of your time. You can make your own list. I'm just telling you, if you're struggling today with your thinking and emotions, there are plenty of reasons why your mind is under attack in this culture. And it adds up to feeling old beyond our years. I talk sometimes to parents of college students, and they, they tell me, Mark, I'm troubled about my daughter. My daughter, is, she's, she's an A student, but it, when I talk to her, it just sounds like she's old beyond her years. I'm, tro I'm troubled that she just feels the weight of her, the world on her. And if you are part of Gen Z, or sometimes that generation is called mosaics, if you're between the ages of 13 or 14 and 27, the statistics, and I keep reading this every day, it's like I get more and more information about this particular aspect of the Mosaic generation. 42% of Gen Z has a diagnosed mental health condition. 57% are on regular medication. 85% are worried about the future. And 90% of Mosaics feel like their generation is set up for failure. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? We have more, we know more than any generation in history, and instead of helping us, it's wearing us down, and it's making us old before our time. So where is help? 
If today we're just feeling that in our mind and emotions, where is help? Well, one answer I kind of hinted at a moment ago, and it is a help, I believe, and that is the help of medication. And I want to speak to that for just a moment because I am thankful that we have anti-anxiety drugs and antidepressants and medications for ADD and other emotional and psychological issues. It's a blessing. And I'm just going to be, this is transparency today. I've benefited from it. I mean, I've known for years, I'm a poster child for ADD. I had one of the top specialists in the nation tell me, you may be the most ADD human being I've ever treated. And that's all he treats. I've been diagnosed by experts. But for a lot of years, I just sort of joked about it. But about 12 years ago, just anxiety and exhaustion and, and, and ADD, it just kind of like rocked me. And thankfully, there was a season where I was on medication. I was on it for several years, and it helped me a great deal. And I'm grateful for it. And the reason why I'm being transparent today is there was a time in our culture, and especially in the religious culture, when the idea was that medication was wrong, that if you had to take medication, you're weak. And so I just want to take a few moments to talk about that. You know, if, and, and here's the thing, the real problem with it is the terms depression and anxiety are not good terms. I mean, it's, it's like they tried to come up with a term, but, but they're not helpful because people who don't understand those illnesses, if a person is depressed, then they'll say, well, just cheer up. Well, I've known people who dealt with intense depression who are some of the happiest people I know. And for a person who deals with anxiety, it's like, well, you don't have anything to be afraid of. Some of the boldest people I've ever met deal with anxiety. See, what it is, it's a chemical issue in the brain. It's like energy that won't shut off. And so I just want to take a few moments, so, because I am going to talk about our thinking today. I just want to make sure that we all understand. I'm not suggesting that anyone get off their medication if you need it. I mean, it's a chemical issue. I mean, you wouldn't tell a diabetic to stop taking insulin I mean, sure, and here's, here's perhaps the nexus. Here's where it crosses over to our thinking today. By the same token, you wouldn't tell a diabetic that that person didn't need to watch their nutrition and watch their, watch their physical exercise because you need both. But here's what we do know, and we'll talk about this sometime in this series. Nutrition and exercise, they're helpful for everybody. And so today, healthy thinking, whether you deal with something like um, anxiety disorder, if you deal with depression, if you deal with bipolar disorder or ADD, what I'm going to talk about will help you. If you don't deal with any of those things today, what we're going to talk about will be an immense help to you because the bottom line is we can all benefit in this culture that so attacks our thinking and our emotions. We can benefit from healthy thinking. So now let's ask this question. How does God's renew, be new, continual newness program intersect where we are today? Here is our verse. I think if you watch, if you watch the uh, New Year's sermon, I think I shared with you that the 50th anniversary of my first sermon was New Year's Eve, last New Year's Eve. I was 16 when I preached it, and I preached from this verse. So here we are right now. Do not be conformed to this present world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, one more time, look at that verse. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, notice that the Bible does not tell us to renew our mind. It says to be transformed. A lot of questions that this verse raises. Let's tackle them in the few moments that we have. First of all, the Bible tells us not to be conformed to the world. Well, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about the planet? Are we talking about the people in the world? 
Oftentimes, when the Bible uses the term world, it's talking about a system. It's talking about a broken system in our world. You know about it. I see it. I mean, have you ever noticed that um, (laughs) evil always seems to be going downhill and good always seems to have to go uphill? I mean, as as the poet said, what what was it? Truth forever on the scaffold. I mean, that, that is kind of how we feel in our world. Well, it is a broken system. That happened because sin came into our world, and it's predominant. It's pervasive. It governs. So when the Bible says, don't be conformed to the world, it's not talking about the people of the planet. It's talking about the system that's out there. Now, look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, because here we have a definition of how to recognize the world's impact on us. Do not love the world. Now, Clearly, that's not what the Bible means in John 3, 16, where the Bible says God so loved the world. That world is people. Here, we're talking about the system. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. So in effect, when the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about lust, greed, and arrogance. Now, the problem with our culture, and I think this is one of the reasons why we feel old before our times, is our culture fans the flames of those three things. Hey, I don't watch commercials most of the year. I I stream like a lot of you do. Now, I love, don't you love bypassing commercials? The only time of the year where I have to see commercials is football season, because I'm watching the game, and these commercials come on, and I'm like, are people really this dumb today. I mean, these commercials seem to be prepared for brain dead people. But the one thing I do see is these commercials are fanning the flames for lust, greed, and arrogance. Buy our product. You'll be cooler than everybody else. Eat this pizza that looks like 12,000 calories. You know, I mean, it, it, it just fans the flame. I mean, how many times do you watch a commercial and you're like, you know what? I am, I am led to be a better person. <laughs> you know why you're laughing? The world system. Now, notice that the Bible says, and this is the second thing that we need to see. The Bible says, don't be conformed to that system, but be transformed. Well, you know what the word conform means, at least in English. It means to take the shape of. Like when you put on a glove. The glove conforms to your hand. The actual word, though, in the Bible here, and this is what's really important, I think this will help us. The actual word, the Greek word there, means to be changed from the outside in. In other words, I become changed as a person by external forces. In other words, the landscape changes me instead of me changing the landscape. Transformed is a beautiful thought in the Bible because it means to be changed supernaturally on the inside so that we actually transform the environment. And it's good to know that it doesn't take too many people to change the environment. All it takes is a handful of people whose minds are transformed by God because they become change agents. I mean, we just talked about how you guys raised one point, almost $1.3 million to help the hurting. And you know why you did that? You did it because God has done something inside of you. I mean, if you were part of those offerings, we didn't put any pressure on, dude. We just, here's the need. If you want to add something to your gift, do it. But see, God changed you from the inside and you became a change agent. 
They're going to be, they're going to be homeless men who have a meal because of you. They're going to be women who've been abused. They're going to get a new start and learn life skills and get jobs because of you. They're going to be persecuted people around the world who are suffering for their faith that are going to be protected because of you, because God changed you from the inside and you became a change agent, transformed. There's a story in the Bible that bears this out. When the people of Judah became idolatrous, God allowed them to go into captivity to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the first world empire, per se. And the Babylonians had this idea about conquered peoples. They would take the best and brightest young people, the college, university students, and they would train them in the Babylonian system so that they would become emissaries and missionaries for the Babylonian culture to their own peoples. And when they conquered Judah, they took four young people, at least four young guys, one guy was named Daniel. The other three were named Hananiah, Mishael, Nazariah. You more likely know the Babylonian names that they were assigned, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, anyway, it had to do with the Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego because the king of Babylon decided he wasn't getting enough props. So he built a statue, a huge statue of himself, and he said, everybody's got to bow to it. And if you don't bow, we're going to throw you into a furnace of fire and burn you up. Well, of course, most people bowed. They might not have wanted to, but hey, that's PC. I mean, you know, you got a bow burning. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they can't bow because that's the reason why they're in captivity is because of idolatry. And they just said, we're not going to bow. And so the king had said, when you hear the music start playing, that's when you got to bow. That's your cue. Well, everybody bowed down. There were these three guys and they stood there, you know, and they must have looked awful tall in the sea of rear ends. <laughs> and the king came to him and said, you guys are a little slow. You come from a different culture. You raised in Christian homes. You just don't understand at the university, that's not how we think. And they said, the King said, we'll give you one more chance. And they said, King, you can give us chances all day long, but we just want you to know we're not going to bow. If you need to throw us in the fiery furnace, then our God will get us out. And even if he doesn't get us out, we want you to know we will never bow to your image. Woo, the king got mad. And he heated up the furnace. <laughs> Ever since I've been a little boy, I thought about this. Seven times hotter. How do, you, how do you heat a furnace seven times hotter? I guess seven times as much fuel. And the fire got so hot that the guys that threw them in the fire, they got killed. They got burned up. But then the king started looking into the furnace. and He, he asked one of his assistants, didn't we throw three guys in there? And the guy said, yeah. He said, I see four. And that fourth one is different. He looks like the son of God, which he was. It was a Christophany, visual manifestation of pre-incarnate Christ. Well, they weren't burned up, and so I guess they just did what they had to do. They called them out. In fact, here's the thing. By the way, this is not today's sermon. I just want you to know, if you ever go through the fire for God, the only thing that'll burn off is the ropes. Some of you have been there. You were told you had to fear this. You had to fear that. You had to comply with this. You got thrown into the fire, and you came out, and the ropes were gone. They couldn't scare you anymore. That's not my sermon, but that was worth coming for. <laughs> now, read this with me. Daniel 3, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the king's officials crowded around. <laughs> you know, they were trying to check this out. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other God except their own God. And so Nebuchadnezzar was saying, hey, we need to all worship their God. You understand what I'm saying? 
They were not conformed to the system. They were transformed from the inside out and they became change agents so that three guys changed the whole landscape. Now that choice is before us today. We're either gonna be conformed to this world system, we're gonna be changed on the outside in, or we're gonna let God work in our hearts, minds, and emotions, and we're gonna be change agents for the world. Do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, and here's the thing, and I, I just, I'm cautious about saying this for one thing, I don't have a lot of time, but I do wanna go somewhere. Most of us are way more conformed to this system than we realize we are. It's just hard not to be. I mean, it's almost like walking through a building that is burned and trying to keep, keep smoke off your clothes. Here is the problem of being conformed to the world. You're never stabilized. Because you see, when the world tells you to do this today, it's gonna tell you to do something tomorrow. It's going to tell you as, soon as you, as soon as you comply with this, there'll be something else for you to comply with. And, and we think that when we conform to the world, okay, we're going to fit, but the next day we don't fit anymore. And we never get stable. We're always on unsure footing. I um, read this many, many years ago. I was a young preacher. It's the suicide note of Ralph Barton, who was one of the most famous cartoonists of all time. And it, the entire suicide note is worth reading, but I just want to read the last part. He said, I have run from wife to wife, from house to house, from country to country, in a ridiculous effort to escape from myself. I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. It's that last line that's always captured me. I am fed up with inventing vices, devices to fill 24 hours of the day. I know you guys are all too young. So I'm going to take a chance here. Do any of you remember the game Simon Says? You know? I mean, I could explain it, but I want to read the Wikipedia article because I love a couple of words in it. I mean, the Wikipedia article says, Simon Says is a children's game. One player takes the role of Simon and issues instructions, usually physical actions such as jump in the air, stick out your tongue to the other players. Players are, here's, look at this word, eliminated from the game Failing to follow an instruction. The object for the player acting as Simon is to get all of the other players out as quickly as possible. You know what? That's not a children's game anymore. Because you see, the reason why so many of us conform, we're fearful of being eliminated from the game. We're told if we don't comply, you'll get canceled. Do you understand? I mean, we got people in our culture 45, 50, 60 years old that are terrified because they don't they feel like they're going to lose at the game Simon says. My, my world, what's happened to us? God wants your mind to be new, mentally and emotionally stabilized. Listen, listen to what the Bible says about your mind if you're transformed by God. We will no longer be like babies. We will not be people who are always changing like a ship that the waves carry one way than another. We will not be influenced by every new teaching we hear from people who are trying to deceive us, those who make clever plans and use every kind of trick to fool others into following the wrong way. In other words, if you let God stabilize your thinking, you won't be vacillating back and forth trying to play Simon Says with the world. Okay, I got seven minutes to get practical. 
I, I, I don't claim to be a great communicator, but the one thing I always want to do when you come in, if I show you what the Bible has to say, I always want to show you how to put this into practice this afternoon, tomorrow morning. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I want my mind to be renewed. I, I, you're right. I probably have been more, I, I, my mind and my emotions have been more assaulted by the culture than I realize. So how do I, how do I get that renewal of mind? Here's number one, and you knew I was going to say this. You have to ingest the word of God. The Bible tells us here that God's word is inspired. I get asked a lot of silly questions sometimes. One of the questions I get asked, Mark, how do you know that some guys just didn't get together in a room and write the Bible? What a silly question. Number one, this, this is 66 books of the Bible written over 2,400 years by 44 different authors. The Bible tells us that the word of God is inspired. The word inspired, there are some two Greek words that are jammed together. Theo, which is God, pneuma, which is breathe, or breath. The Bible tells us the word of God is actually breathed by God. The scriptures tell us that God moved on these people and they wrote what God wanted them to write. That's the process. And I gotta tell you something. I, I, I'm, you would never know this from listening to me teach but, or speak, but when I was young, I actually taught English. But I, I'm a literature junkie. And I gotta tell you something, I've read some of the world's greatest literature and trying to get it to be integrated with itself, I mean, there's just an absence of, 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 this, uh, of the writing integrating. I mean, I've read some of the great philosophers and there's an integration problem with that. But I, I've been reading the Bible ever since I've been a kid. I've been studying, I've been a pastor for, for good gracious, 46 years. And the one thing I've discovered about the Bible is it always agrees with itself. There's a there's a symmetry to it because it is the word of God. Now, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verse 21, in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which implanted and rooted in your hearts, look at this next line, contains the power to save your souls. Now, if you grew up in church like I did and you see that expression, save your souls, we're, we tend to think about that in terms of of eternal salvation, God taking us to heaven. That's not what that particular reference is. The word soul there comes from the Greek word psuche, P-S-U-C-H-E. Guess which word we get from that? Psyche. The Bible tells us that if we, if we will receive the word of God, not like testing the word of God to see if it fits with my agenda or the world's agenda, but if we'll receive the word of God, it has the power to rescue our psyche. So I want to encourage you today to just ingest as much of the word of God every day. And I promise you, Satan will fight you on this more than he'll fight you. I mean, unless it's prayer, he'll fight you on this more than he fights on anything else. How do you, how do you ingest the word of God? Well, first of all, just read the Bible. And if you don't have a, a Bible, I mean, you can pick one up in the New Spring store. We use the New Living Translation here. I like it because it's very accurate to the translation, to the original autographs. And also like it because it's very easy to read. So get a Bible. I mean, if you're just looking for something that's kind of like the Word of God, Mary Alice and I do something called Noah's Window. We started that during COVID. That's where it got its name, Noah's Window. I thought it was going to last two weeks. I think we're in 700, 715 episodes. So Monday through Friday, Mary Alice and I just do a little, we just open scriptures and share something that God has shown us. I mean, Join a small group here at New Spring. And most of all, every weekend, as you know here, we're going to open the Word of God. And it, the Bible tells us that if we ingest the Word of God, it has the power to rescue our psyches. Number two, guard what you allow 
into your mind. Now, I gotta talk about this because I understand our culture. And I know I'm talking, let's just say there's a 35-year-old guy here. And you're letting some stuff in your mind that's not healthy. But I know what you're gonna say. I can handle this. No, you're not handling it, it's handling you. The Bible says, above all, guard the door of your mind with diligence for out of it are the issues of life. So that just simply means I'm not strong enough to allow junk into my head. So not only do I need to ingest the word of God, I I need to be careful about what I do allow. And and here's the thing, that can be media, that can be stuff we watch, it can just be certain people. I mean, how many of us have people in our lives that after we talk to them, we feel like we need a shower or we need a counselor? (laughs) You know what? Most of us are more careful about where we park our cars than where we park our brains. (laughs) It's been a long, long time ago. I was speaking almost for an entire week for a conference in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, my home area. And I had rented a car because I was going to be there for almost a week. And I think I had rented, this has been a while back, I think I rented a Ford Taurus or similar car. You know how they say that. But you know, you know what, remember what Jerry Seinfeld said? He said, the people at the rent a car place, they can take the reservation, they just can't hold it. So I get there late at DFW, and the person behind the counter said, we only have one car left, and it's a work van, a white panel van. And I'm like thinking, okay, I am a guest speaker for a major conference, and I'm going to show up driving a work van. And I said, that will not work. And the lady said, well, we do have one more car. It's a Cadillac And it's got this rocket engine, like 500 horsepower. And she said, it's really expensive to rent, but we won't charge you anything extra. And I thought, work van, Cadillac, rocket engine. And I said, I believe I'll take the Cadillac. And I had a lot of fun and I drove and I had to confess some things to the Lord about the way I drove out on 820. (laughs) But you don't drive it like a rental. So... The last night of the conference, all the young staff for this church, and it was pretty good sized staff, but all the young guys who were on staff, they said, Mark, we just like to get together at one of the guys' houses, and they said, we just like for you to pour into us. So I said, sure, I'll be glad to do that, because I was going to catch my flight till the next morning. So I drove over to the address they gave me, and I could tell that it was kind of a scary place. So I parked the Cadillac out there on the curb, and as I was walking in, one of the young pastors said, Mark, you may not want to do that, because they said, you know what happens is you leave a car like that out there, and they're going to jack it up, and and all of a sudden, I thought about trying to explain to the rent-a-car place, and I got to tell you something. I'm just keeping it real. It did not take me long to pour into those guys. I think I poured into them in about 15 minutes, and I said, well, I have to go. You know what? It was like God said to me, Mark, you're more careful about where you park this rented Cadillac than where you park your mind sometimes. Because you park your mind in places that cause you to worry, causes you to fret, causes you to be negative. Be careful where you park your mind. Number three, and I gotta finish real quickly here. We need to move our minds off ourselves. By the way, if, if this talk, if this is interesting to you, I don't, I don't think I ever recommend one of my series, but if you'd like to have like five or six messages on this topic, I did a series called Run, Forest, Run. 
Six Secrets to Living Happy. You can check with the New Spring store. They can order it for you. I, don't, I, mean, I think it's like 2014 when I did that. But one of the things I learned while I was studying for that series, and I, I read a great book by a guy named Sean Aker, who began a course at Harvard University on, on positive psychology. You know, he, he, most psychology, and we need it, but people present with an issue. In positive psychology, they analyze people who are happy and ask them why they were happy. And he wound up beginning a course at Harvard, and it was not for credit. He didn't know if anybody would show up, but I don't think they've ever been able to house. There were so many kids that want to take this class, they never have been able to house everybody who wanted to be there. And one of the things that I saw so clearly from Sean Aker's writing on positive psychology was the importance of getting mind off of self. I mean, he said little simple things like gratitude. I mean, he would encourage the students in positive psychology to write three thank you notes a day. Or a week. Well, the word of God called this a long time ago. The Bible says, be agreeable, love each other, be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. You and I are groomed by the culture to be completely focused on ourselves. Some of us deal with insecurity. You know why? Because we bought into the premise that everything anyone says or does is a referendum on us. Let go. Start looking around. If you're worried about something, think about somebody who's got issues that are bigger than yours and see what you can do for them. One more. And this is going to be kind of weird, but stay with me. Leave on the conveyor belt what's not intended for your mind. I started this message by talking about how that we're baptized, inundated with all kinds of things to worry about and be troubled about. I want you to get this mental image in your head of you being in the factory of life and a huge conveyor belt running in front of you. Some of the stuff you need to take off the line, a lot of stuff you need to leave on the conveyor belt and let it go on up to the person up the, up, up the chain. See, the problem with us, the reason why we have so many anxieties is we take stuff off the conveyor belt that wasn't meant for us. It was meant for God. It was meant for others. But we feel responsible because we take it off the conveyor belt, and now it's our problem. I mean, here's the thing. Think about that conveyor belt, the stuff that's coming in your life. Can you do something about it? Can you change it? Can you actually make a difference? If you can't, leave it on the belt. Let it go up to God. The Bible tells us in the book of Philippians 4, verse 6, don't fret or worry instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Hey, God wants you to live new, perpetually new, new every day. Hey, let's stop being conformed, influenced by the outside culture. Let God transform you from the inside and become a change agent. God bless you. Thank you. We'll get this next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.